listeners. Welcome to another episode of Beckett's Babies. This is episode number 46 in our second season. And well, I guess season two, episode two, but out of all of them, (laughs) it's number 46. Uh, We're your hosts, Sam Collier. And Sarah Cho, and we've got a wonderful guest on the show. Her name is Tiana Randall-Quant. She is a Los Angeles-based theater artist working to change the narrative that L.A. is not a theater town. That's a big statement, y'all. She (laughs) is a graduate of UC Berkeley, where she geared her education towards making art that centers marginalized communities and community healing. She is working now on her debut performance with the Wallace Studio Ensemble, which opens February 20th at the Hudson Theaters. And she is preparing to remount Project Non-Genus, What You Will, or Twelfth Night as a character, Olivia. So welcome to the show, Tiana. Thank you. I'm so excited. Woo! We're excited to have you here. <laughs> yes. Um, we like to start our show asking all our guests, uh, tell us your earliest memory. What was your life like before theater? Um, well, yo, I don't think I had a life before theater. <laughs> um, just because like even before even before I started doing like theater, like after school, like, like, you know, or, or like school plays and stuff like that, that was my main method of like play at home. Um, uh-huh. I'm like the youngest in my family. And so like, I was the only like kid. So it was a lot of like me creating like stories and like acting them out and stuff like that and I really liked to play pretend and and dress up and stuff like that I was very very into the whole princess narrative um (laughs) and so yeah that and and I would like dance and perform in my living room and my dad would record it and call it the Tiana show so I don't think I had (laughs) a life before theater (laughs) where and were you um inventing character like princess characters for yourself to play um or yeah stories Um, yeah a lot of it like I was very into superheroes but I was also very into the whole princess thing so it was Mm -hmm. a lot of mixing that but I was also very into like the whole damsel in distress being rescued (laughs) but I was also very into the whole um you know kicking butt I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this podcast but um yeah so uh and I would do different stuff with like my dolls and stuff like that like I very distinctly remember like creating characters and like getting really deeply into like these long drawn out narratives that I would go back to. Isn't that cool how kids, I mean, just that there's that way in which when you're playing as a kid, you lose sense of time and you become totally absorbed in the story you're telling. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes that as adults, we're all just trying to get back into that feeling, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, I I kind of remember the first time I, like, I always go back to this memory of, like, being in front of my friends, doing almost, like, stand-up comedy routine, and then everyone's just like, you're so funny, and or like, you're, like, you should be a mm. comedian or something, and I was, like, eight or nine years old, you know, and then I was just like, I don't know why, I just go back to that memory, like, how funny and fun that was, and then yeah. I'm like, 
trying to always try, it's like I'm trying to replicate that feeling yeah, yeah. making yeah, people it's laugh never, it's such a good feeling never ending chase I'm <laughs> miserable yeah <laughs> absolutely so, I remember like playing like being really dramatic and like pretending that I was like crying and like falling out or something <laughs> like that and my grandma would be like are you okay what are you doing and I'd be like no I'm fine I'm just like playing and stuff like that and then I would go back to crying oh <laughs> oh man so how did you what was your first theater class or like how did you find yourself cementing into theater um the first like so I did a lot of like dance and theater after school when I was like really young. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I did, and I've never seen it done since, but it was um, Toy Story 2, but like a musical. Wow. For kids. Uh, yeah. And I played Ham and I've literally never heard of any <laughs> other. That sounds so good. Like, I didn't, I don't. Yeah. But I don't know if it's like a, a real musical. <laughs> Um, I don't know where my like teacher got it or something like that, but I was like seven and I played ham um, or whatever <laughs> the pig's name is. And then I didn't start thinking like seriously about really, really being into theater because I was I was mostly into like dance as a kid. Um, but I got really into theater in middle school and I played a, a, I was in the Diary of Van Frank. And it kind of made me realize like how like how like moving and important theater can be because like I felt really, really connected to like it was like a really interesting way to like get into the story of Anne Frank and like learn about the Holocaust and stuff like that. So I, I didn't start thinking about like the power of theater until then. Cool. And then, OK, so then how did you. Um, get into devised theater and what was your journey like um, discovering that form of creating um it was almost like accidental I um I was in college I I when I uh I transferred to UC Berkeley and so like my first or second semester I took um this class called it was Teatro Lab um, and it focused on Chicano theater. Mm-hmm. And so, like, um, the the United Farm Workers, like, they had their own sort of, like, community theater. Or I don't know if you've heard of El Teatro yeah. Campesino. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so, like, a lot of their early stuff was, like, devised. And a lot of it was, like, forum theater. And so we would just, like, do a lot of that. It it was very hard at first because a lot of it is is it was a lot of people trying to get their own opinions in and stuff like uh. that. So at first, when like you know, un- unless you have like a certain environment for it, it can be really really challenging and in, in sort of a negative way. But I mean, like we pulled it off and stuff, and it was it was very cool. But it was um it was a more communal way of making theater than just sort of like having it dictated to you almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really cool. Cause like what we built out of that was so like 
was so like new because like we built it from like you know the pieces that we made were like from the ground up and they were very personal um and they were very they spoke directly to you know whatever time we were in then like what you know what we were going through in our lives at that time and who we were as artists but also very like performative Mm. Yeah, so, so some, yeah, it does. And I'm wondering, um, because I think some of our listeners might not be familiar with devised theater. Can you describe how you start with a group of, you know, artists and, and start with, you know, not a text, but just the people in the room? And how do you move from that to a finished performance? And did you have a director? Or, you know, was it kind of, all hands on deck. Um, what did it look like? Um, I think I've had different experiences. Um, and I, I think it depends on like the group of people, but like when I, I also took a, um, this class called black theater lab with at Berkeley and it was under Rodessa Jones of the Medea theater project. And she does a lot of like, um, helping, incarcerated women create theater around their own like lives and narratives and stuff like that and so like she was very much like the director Mm -hmm. but it was a lot of like combining the physical and also our own autobiographical texts and also making those into like an interesting like like comprehensive like performance like from beginning Mm -hmm. to end Mm -hmm. um and so it's everybody sort of making you know bringing their own like what they have to bring to the group and then just having to like organize and reorganize until like it it meshes together until it becomes its own thing as opposed to a bunch of separate uh pieces yeah and so a lot of it was like we would do, you know, physical exercises to sort of create a um, common, like, vocabulary of movement um, and sort of, like, build, um, like, cohesion with each other. Cohesion wasn't the word I was looking for, but... Um, and then we would also do, like, writing exercises. Like, we would have a, we would have a set theme for what we wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, And it would just be like, all right, well, in the beginning, we want to do this. And so, like, everybody brings something, you know, about this certain thing. Like, I was in another, um, I was in another production that was a thesis project for one of my friends. And he, the way he organized it was he wanted to talk about mental health. He wanted to talk about um, race. He wanted to talk about gender, um, the last one and I think uh and immigration Mm. and so and in the context of like our experiences at UC Berkeley so um it was organized so he he was able to organize it that way like we would bring in stuff about you know our experiences and stuff like that and it would just be like and, and we would edit it together and give each other feedback so it's like very like collaborative and very like everybody building each other up like as individual artists but also creating this like new thing 
You know, when I first learned of devising, my first impression was, and this is, I could, I'm going to open this up to you too, Sam, if you want to answer it. But I always felt like there was really no space for the playwright to be part of Mm. it because I always felt like it's a, it's a relationship between the performer and the director. And then they're creating a piece together. And in a sense, they are the playwrights in the room. So there's no like real, like a playwright writing the play with text in the room or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I've, that's my first impression of it that I was like, well, okay. So, (laughs) so I'm just so curious. Like, I mean, you guys could agree or disagree with that. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what the role of a playwright actually is in Devise or not. Um, Well, I I like to, I mean, I like to think of myself as a, as a playwright, even though Mm -hmm. I'm more of a, I'm more of a performer. I do love to write. And so I feel like Devise Theater attracts people who are both performers and Mm -hmm. writers. Um, So maybe it's just, yeah. So maybe it's just like, it's it's more of a space that way I have had I um or this wasn't my personal experience but I had a friend of mine who was in a really cool devised piece um called love is another country and it was about um it was about like it it was like a it didn't have like a uh it had like a through line narrative and it was about like Mm. black women and like generational trauma kind of but they had a playwright come and work with them for their process. Cool. And so it was like, they would do all the work, not all the work, but they would do like a lot of like physical stuff and they would come up with a lot of things. And the playwright would be like, okay, cool here. Here's how I'm going to organize that. Or I would like to take this and explore it more. Mm. Or I took this thing you did last week and I wrote some text for it and I would like to explore that. And so I feel like the like the playwright as like a specific role has a role in device theater. I think it just depends on how much like just like what the the process for the company is. Because my um in the show I'm in now at the Wallace Studio Ensemble, um, my director will take she'll take moments that we created, like even movement moments or like you know uh, uh, different stuff that we just made up and then like we'll bring in pages of text the next week and be like okay like I took this and I wrote this scene about it and I want to try it out and then like we'll move text around and stuff so it seems like it's um it it's going two ways in a way that a traditional um rehearsal process doesn't in that the the playwright or director both are kind of taking um, ideas from what the performers are doing and then, you know, um, feeding off of that, coming up with something else, bringing it back to the room. And then that process kind of continues. Yeah. At least that's what yeah. it sounds so like. Yeah. So it's very, yeah, it's, it's very like circular almost sort of like the yeah. snake eating its own tail. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Because like you can, because you can create something, um, and then like not use it. Like that scene just disappears, but it gets sort of like it. It feeds the soil for like other pieces. Mm-hmm. 
and so it's not just like um I wrote this or I I made this so like this is what we're gonna do like it's right. it's more fluid than that well and there's this anything to wrong me... with like the traditional theater no, of course, but this yeah. to me seems like one of the really great advantages of working with an ensemble because what you're creating goes beyond just one show. That that you're, you know, I think the ideally the idea of an ensemble is that you're building these creative relationships with each other that are bigger than one show and that and that you get better and better at it. And so um every every process you have teaches you something about how to be better artists and, and work together, you know, collaboratively so that when one show is over, you can kind of take all of that energy and um, creative juice, you know, for lack of a better (laughs) word, and then bring it to the next process and that you're, Mm. you're kind of growing um, cumulatively over years rather than just the six week rehearsal process for to to put one play up and I think that's really really that must be really rewarding oh yeah absolutely absolutely because even because it's um you know this is the longest I've been in like an ensemble where we meet you know we meet like twice a week and we do a lot of like you know, we just do a lot of like training, like a lot of physical training and a lot of like acting training. Um, and it's my first year with them, but um, I have friends who are in the ensemble who it's their fourth year or their founding mm-hmm. members and stuff like that. And they're very open about how different of a place they're in now, like as individual artists and as an ensemble that they were, you know, their founding year. And And yeah, there is definitely like, a lot of growth and a lot of like there's a um yeah like a, a very shared like communal art like um objective as artists mm-hmm. well and you're part of something that's bigger than you as an individual artist too mm-hmm. and I think that that idea is a little bit lacking in a lot of our processes mm-hmm. right now just that you know a lot of people do one show and then they they leave the group they did that show with and they go do a show with another group and mm. um whereas if you're in a, an ensemble like at least to me what the wallace studio ensemble sounds like you're part of this group that is shaping you just as much as you're shaping it and um mm-hmm. anyway i'm wondering can you just yeah. share a little bit about what the Wallace Studio Ensemble does and and um, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, what its mission or philosophy is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's They were founded in, in 2016. Um, and it's it's very much like the the mission statement definitely focuses around like early career actors so a lot of us are in like our 20s and stuff and and a lot of it it focuses on building a sort of foundation for exploring new ways to make theater Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and we we focus on like relevant issues or issues that in our community that we want to explore um 
like, uh, um, you know, environmentalism or climate change. Um, I am always trying to bring the sort of uh, anti-capitalist stance mm. into all of the work that we do. Um, very much like talking about just like exploring the world we live in and trying to present a, a, a new way to look at it that can give us sort of like a helpful insight moving forward. Um, and we, we try also outside of training to engage with our community. Like we try to do like, you know, we did a, a clothing drive for the women's center of LA. Um, we're partnering right now with the, um, art and healings, the unlonely project. Um, cool. Yeah. We're just, it, it's like, we're very much trying to do like social justice theater. And I know that's a very like broad term, um, but just like sort of creating, creating theater that's, ge- that's um, geared towards like community engagement mm-hmm. and like, insight into our world (laughs) that's awesome yeah so we meet we meet um twice a week we meet on Wednesdays and Saturdays right now we've been having more rehearsals because our show opens in like 10 days (laughs) um and so yeah so so it's a lot of like viewpoints training and and um a lot of physical work too I want to connect to your bio that's that you're working to change the narrative that LA's not a theater town. And and you must be so annoyed with people like me. That says, oh, <laughs> LA is not a theater town. Like LA, there's no theater in LA. Oh, blah, are blah, you blah. are you two gonna have the debate? I wanna hear this. <laughs> no, no, no. No debate. But um but I am amazed, like just hearing uh you talk about theater and the, the work that's happening in LA. But I'm so curious to know, like, for people like me, mm-hmm. <laughs> why do you think it's so hard for people like me uh, to find these works in LA? Like, I, I really think that there's some kind of a disconnect with the, the maybe because maybe the city, you know, it's like so saturated with the entertainment. So all you see mm-hmm. is billboards of Netflix shows, you know, and absolutely TV, that it's so hard to find, like, theater groups like yours um mm-hmm. what like what kind of like obstacles do you find your do you find facing um yeah no I, and you're you're absolutely right about like it's it's hard to find because a lot of it is so like you know it's it's very like com- it's very like community based you know there's not a lot of like money behind it there's not a lot of you know it's 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 not people like it's people doing like who who are actors as like a career, you know, some of them are actors as a career, but like they're doing like commercials or they're doing other like film stuff um, and then doing theater on the side. Um, Yeah. And so a lot of like the really cool and different, you know, work that I find like, that or that I, you know, I'm seeing being done, like you have to, it's, they don't have the budget for like big advertisements or they, you're, you know, they're not at like, mm-hmm. a, a lo, you know, there's so much geared 
you know, when you think about theater in LA, you think about like the Pantages or you think of like Center Theater Group and like they're doing great work, but like the way that like, you know, there's, there's definitely a disconnect between the big union houses and like small community theater. Um, And that's why I'm so like, I'm really grateful that like the Wallace Annenberg, because that is a big union house is helping um, is host, you know, is, is, is helping early career actors like find their footing and stuff like that. Well, you know, um, and, and stuff. And so like, that's the first time that I have found that there's not like a huge disconnect between Mm. like mainstream LA theater and like a lot of the, the work that's being, that's actually being done because like, there's so much of it. Um, there is like so much theater going on in LA. You just like, people just don't hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just, I've just, and so been, like, I've I don't, been discovering I don't get annoyed theater. People... Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been just hearing word of mouth. Like when I talk to someone, they're like, oh, you're a playwright. Oh, you know, there's a theater here that does this kind of work. You know, they're like, that's how I mm-hmm. discover theater. There's just that word of mouth. And I think what, you said is like hitting that um, note of it's the community that sort of mm-hmm. strengthens the that um, part of LA in theater. Um, but man, I just wish like, yeah, I just kind of wish that more people could see, see more shows in theater. And what do you think it would cha- take to yeah. change that narrative? Um. I don't know, I guess more visibility. Like I, mm. I see a lot of like um I see a lot more people like trying to create relationships between different like community theater groups. Mm. And I think because a lot of, you know, uh um like because of, you know, area and like traffic and like time and stuff like that, like um certain bubbles tend to pop up. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like right now, like a lot of people are like learning, a lot of groups are learning about each other and connecting that way and like making work with each other. And so like, you know, their base is learning about this whole other different community of, of theater makers and stuff like that. And, and just like growing the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's something that I feel like is slow going, but I feel like it's slowly changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's 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 uh, it's definitely like a very frustrating thing because when you know I, I tell people I'm an I'm an actor, and it'll be like, oh, I'm I'm you know right at this moment I'm mostly a theater actor and I love theater and that's what I, you know, that's the core of like my artistry and stuff like that. And people will be like, well, why are you here? you know why aren't you in new york and it's Uh, just like mm -hmm. with what money (laughs) right (laughs) like i'm from la yeah that's your home and also i mean i just think we if we as a country are going to i was gonna say slowly decline but i think that's already happening regardless (laughs) but i just like there's no hope for us if the only place you can be an actor is New York. Do you know what I mean? Like theater belongs to everybody and belongs to every community. And um, 
Yeah. Okay, well, here's a question for you. In the face of that frustration, and I'm sure others, um, how do you stay inspired to be creative? What keeps you going? Um, I, I very much like hearing about like what my friends are doing or seeing or, or just checking up on like other theater artists that like I may not know personally, but like I like their work and stuff like that. Mm. And just like learning about their process and stuff. Um, so like, I like reading people's blogs. I really like Instagram a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, seeing other people being creative sort of gives me a second wind when I'm feeling a little burnt out. Um, I also, you know, I like reading a lot. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm part of this like book club through the dramatist play service and I've fallen off very much, but, um, they send you like seven plays like every three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And I've been exposed to so much different like stories and different plays and stuff like that, that I would not have found myself. Um, or I wouldn't have even known to look for. Um, I like surfing new play exchange, looking for like different stuff or stuff that's in my own like personal wheelhouse. Um, yeah. I, or Do you have any I favorite just... plays that you've read recently, either from that book club or um, elsewhere? Recently, recently, I've I've just been like consuming jose rivera's like entire canon yeah so i really like um i just finished references to salvador dali make me oh, hot. i love that play yeah 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 and it's like my favorite <laughs> uh my favorite thing right now um can I've you say been why? reading like a lot of poetry for, for listeners who don't know it oh mm-hmm. oh oh yeah it's it's like just the way he uses language is so like it's so funny and sexy and like um it's very like it's more like internal monologue than it is like realism yeah Mm. and it's so like it's so poetic but like also kind of (laughs) nasty and I think that I think that's so fun like as an actor but I also think it's like so beautiful and it's so like it's it's more truthful than like sometimes how we speak. It's like it's like listening to someone's heart than listening to their words. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And so um so that's why I, I just really like his work in general. And I, I've been reading his um his translation of um Life is a Dream. Mm. Uh and that's also been really fun because he like it's it's very much that classical theater sort of um, feeling, but also he makes it nasty. And <laughs> <laughs> I love that poetic and nasty. Those are my two favorite combos now. <laughs> I never heard that two combined. Poetic and nasty. I love it. I, yeah, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> oh man! So before we uh, wrap up, you know. Um, what I would love to know is like, what advice would you give to our listeners who are interested in creating new work, getting into this world of devising? Like where, where should they start? Or like what 
piece of information that you've learned that, you know, past Tiana, you should have known. <laughs> um, Could have learned. Um, Just like, I guess just like, if you're starting out or like you're interested, just like research, like, because a lot of these artists, like, you know, have also like made work with each other. So like, if you research one, like you'll hear about another one and stuff like that. Um, but it's also, I feel like a lot of devised work is about sort of challenging a sort of mold that mm. people try to fit theater into. And so, um, so like challenging that and sort of like, so I, I guess thinking about like what you want to like, cause device theater offers such a great way to like make something new. And it's sort of like, you have to think about like, all right, what do you want to do? That's new. Like what question are you trying to ask? What are you trying to say that like, you feel can't really be said in a traditional theater form. Um, I've been uh, uh, reading a lot of uh, Augusto Boal and like about theater of the oppressed. And like, um, I really like um, Anna Devere Smith's work because she takes people's like actual words and like turns that into theater and makes like a whole like, play using like like interviews um yeah yeah and and more I would say even more than just their words like she she takes their voices and their physicality and yeah um it's just incredible to watch her perform the way she embodies people yeah it's yeah it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) it really is yeah um so yeah and I and I guess sort of just like um I also do like a lot of yoga and cause I feel like a lot of like devising work, like you have to really be in your body or you have to really like get to know yourself in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. Um, so just sort of just like taking time to understand like what you want as an artist and like as a person and like mm-hmm. what is there inside of you that you haven't been able to articulate using just using just words or using just like straight using just a straight narrative or even using Mm -hmm. just like English. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like in order to bring like the best work in device, like every performer should or actor should have this like, um, you know, be able to encompass a lot of a sort of maybe information or something that they could, because I liked what you said about learning all these different molds and challenging that mold. And, and so it sounds like that in the piece and creating a new work, uh, it's about how do you as an individual bring your own take on it, your own authentics, like bringing your own authentic self into the work Mm-hmm. Um, to create new work all together, you know, mm-hmm. that's, and then I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Like I always think like, and it's, it's something that's hard to like develop by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's 
for people out there who who want to get into it like I encourage like them to like start building community because like it's very much like two heads are better than one Mm. um and I know that's so corny but like it's always what I think whenever I'm like watching my ensemble work and stuff like that because it's 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 yeah like what you said it's people bringing their authentic self and so it's like there's no one else like you out there so like no one can bring what you bring specifically to the table but like people can relate to it so like you can create something that like people haven't seen or thought about before or they haven't thought about it in a certain way because of what you and your group you know made with each other yeah that's great thanks (laughs) (laughs) cool okay so where can our listeners find you tiana um uh, i'm uh I think I'm mostly on Instagram at T underscore quant, Q-U-A-N-T. You can also find a lot of my work with the Wallace Studio Ensemble on Facebook. Just search the Wallace Studio Ensemble. That's W-A-L-L-I-S. You can also find the Wallace Studio Ensemble on Instagram, too. Um, Come check out our show, Lucid. It's about dreams and getting to the, and, and, you know, exploring a fractured subconscious. Um, Yeah. And, and And, yeah. And I know you mentioned on offline that uh, you're taking the show to French Fence Festival. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, we were recently accepted to the Brighton French Festival. And so we're going to be fundraising to um, cover our airfare and lodging costs. Our Indiegogo is not up yet, but it will be soon. But like that will definitely be on our Instagram and on our Facebook. Awesome. And we'll, you know, listeners, we're going to share that. You're going to look out for it. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So we're moving to uh, this part of the show called Glistens. where it was adopted from our professor at Dare Club. We'd like to share favorite glistens of the week. You know, it could be anything, the music you heard, news headline that caught your attention, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much anything. Uh, so would anyone like to start? I okay, can I'll start. start. Oh, you can start. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you go. Um, okay, okay, I'll go. Um, so I'm, I'm casually looking online and uh, – this month, being Black History Month, I ran a, uh, across this uh, individual or a, an inventor. Her name is Mary Kenner. So she invented the sanitary belt. I think it's like a moisture-proof napkin pocket, which was not used until 30 years after she invented it. Um, wow. The company showed interest, but they rejected it because she was an African-American woman. And I was like, wow. that is so crazy. And it took her 30 years. I think she was saving money um, so she could get a patent and then so then she could start. And what was so cool is that she was a family, came from a family of inventors. Like her wow. she has a sister, invented She games. could have been like a billionaire if they had, I, know. I mean, she probably wow. didn't even get any of the money. I'm sure she didn't. The credit. Like, yeah. yeah. And I thought when I came to her story i was like whoa like i cannot imagine millions and millions of women across yeah. you know, the entire world 
mm-hmm. not having this kind of access. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought that was remarkable. But yeah. Good question. <laughs> it is. I was like really, maybe I was so passionate because I was like, it's, oh, it's not fair. <laughs> like why, yeah. why did it take her 30 years? Why did it have to take 30 years? Oh, so annoying. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Like, listen. <laughs> Uh, well, mine is I saw um, the new Pedro Almodovar movie, um, Pain and Glory, or Dolor y Gloria, and it is so good. I really recommend mm. it. It's so beautiful. Um, it's it's just about the life. Uh, well, I think it's it's roughly autobiographical. It's about the life of a filmmaker who kind of resembles him, and um, it's gorgeous, and it's also structurally really interesting uh, when you get to the end. It's one of those things where you get to the end, and you're like, oh, I want to watch the whole thing from the beginning again because um, of how it all fits together. So, yeah, I recommend it. Where did you watch it? Um, I, so I live in very rural Maine, and we have a little tiny movie theater that has three screens. And it's such a small theater that, like, you can hear. I, maybe this is normal for movie theaters. I don't even know anymore. I feel like I live in another <laughs> planet. But, like, you can hear the movie that's in the room next door really loudly. <laughs> you know, like, okay. so it awesome. kind of infuses the movie you're watching. Like, when I saw the Mr. Rogers movie, there was some kind of explosion happening, Um next door which was very disorienting (laughs) um but yeah I saw it in that little theater okay I don't know if it was like available online or anything I don't know I mean a lot of times they get movies a couple months after they're released and so it may be that this one came out in December and is no longer in wide release but okay (laughs) but I I don't think it's streaming I think it's still Mm. in the theaters okay awesome how about you Tiana what's your glisten um, I, speaking of Netflix, um, I actually, I think it's a, it's a Netflix original, but it's a Spanish language. Um, it's called The Green Frontier. And, um, my director at the, the Wallace Ensemble actually turned me on to it. It's, it's called Green Frontier and it's about, it's like a, I'm really into like murder mysteries mm. and I'm a, a, really into fantasy and this combines them both. Um, cool. and it takes place in, in, Colombia in the like near the in the Amazon rainforest and also like a little bit outside of it and it's like the it's a female protagonist and like sent it like a lot of the characters are like indigenous it centers around like this whole like indigenous mythology and stuff like that and it's um it's in Spanish and Portuguese which I've been trying to learn Portuguese uh so like I definitely got super into it for that reason but it's also like an incredible show like it's magical but it's also like gritty noir Ooh, it sounds so Mm. good it is it is it's like really great and it's like uh most of the main characters are women and like they're really badass and just like it's really great um so yeah i've just been enjoying that i'm almost done with it so that's my glisten all right yay all right. Thank you for sharing. Oh, my goodness. This was a remarkable interview. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me. I was so excited. I was like, because I'd been listening to you guys for a while. And then I was like, maybe I could actually get on to Becca's baby. Yes. Maybe I could actually get on yes. the show. And so, listeners, you should go check yeah. out Lucid and say hi to Tiana. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be at the Hudson Theaters. 
um, for just two weekends, uh, the Hudson Theatres on Santa Monica Boulevard. Well, that was our interview with Tiana Randall-Quant. Thanks so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard, um, please try to check. Well, and if you live in L.A., check out her show. (laughs) Um, And don't forget to like our podcast and share it with all your friends. Mm -hmm. Leave us those reviews. Yeah. Um, I've been noticing our podcasts are on Apple and I appreciate the the likes we've gotten and the five stars. <laughs> uh, it's like nice to see. I'm like, oh look, one more. I'm like, oh that's nice. It feels good. I feel it feels nice to be validated. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean I, that's the whole industry of the internet is built on that feeling. <laughs> so, um, um, I think you're on yeah. something, Sarah. <laughs> Uh, and for next week's episode, make sure you have read Dance Nation by Claire Barron. Um, if you have thoughts, questions about the play, be sure to message us or email us, and we would love to include it on in our show. Yeah, okay? that's right. And don't forget, you too could be a guest on Beckett's Babies if you send us an email with a really cool idea of what you want to talk about. We're always looking yeah. for guests, and that's how we got to know Tiana. So it could happen. It could happen. You could be like Tiana. <laughs> That's a shame. Exactly. Be like Tiana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, folks. See you Thanks next time. Bye. Bye.